How's everybody feeling today? Ugh, gotta push the beast over a little bit. Um, very good. Hey, we're gonna wrap up a series tonight that we've been doing called Take the Land. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and uh, if you're watching online, do we have audio online yet? Do you know? Okay, we do now? All right, good. Sometimes when we sing songs, the internet doesn't like it and it mutes our feed for a little bit. But this is all original stuff, so they, can, uh, they can't mute this. So anyway, hey, I'm super excited. Babe, I forgot to put this down there. Good catch. Nice job. All right. Uh, that distracts me if it's in my pocket. Well, today we're going to finish up this series. We've been talking a lot in this series. It's revolved around the story of Joshua in the Bible. So the people of Israel, they got out of Egypt a long time ago. Then they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. They were living in a space that, that they weren't supposed to live in. God had something better for them. God had something called the promised land. It was a land that was fertile. It was a land where they would live that they still live in today, right? That, that was a land that God had set apart for the people of Israel. But the problem was is that they had to go take it. It wasn't necessarily given to them on a silver platter. They had to work for it. And so we've been talking in this series, take the land, that there's things in your life. There's a there's an abundant life the Bible talks about that, that Jesus came to give you. And sometimes we have to take that land. It's not going to be handed to us on a silver platter. Sometimes we have to put in the work. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we have to identify the land. If we're going to take the land. We got to look and go, what land is God calling me to? And for some of us, it's better marriages. For some of us, it's our mental health. For some of you, it's school. It's being a better mom. It's being a better spouse. Whatever it is, uh, God's given you that land. He wants the best for you in all those areas. Well, we have to identify what those areas are in our own life. The second thing was we had to walk courageously. He told Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Even if you're afraid to take these steps, do it afraid. Do it anyway, right? And then we talked about how once we do those things, we got to plant the flag down in that land. And tell the enemy, this land is not yours anymore. It's God's land. And I'm here to fight for it. I'm here to protect it. So that was week one. Last week, we talked about how we're gonna, we gotta cut the rope. All right. I remember that story about Elisha Otis. He invented the elevator and he had to cut the rope to show people that it was safe and that they could use it, right? Well, the, and the people of Israel, when they got, they finally were able to go into the promised land, they had one big obstacle and it was the uh, Jordan River. And so they got to the edge of the Jordan River, the priest did, with the Ark of the Covenant. And they had to cut the rope in their own life. And they had to take a step down into the Jordan. They had to take another step down into the Jordan. And it was at that point that God did the miraculous. And we learned last week that God never intended for us to live safe lives. Safety is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. We, God intended for us to follow Him. And following Him seems risky on the surface. But in reality, when we take that risk, we understand that there's always something. There's always someone on the other side of our obedience. The risk is always worth it. And so we talked about last week how we're going to be a church that takes the steps in the Jordan. We're going to be a church that takes the risk. We're going to be a church that cuts the rope. Why? Because people are counting on us to do that. And so tonight, we're going to wrap up the series, and we're going to talk about the next part of the story. Actually, that last song we sang, Do It Again, it's, it's centered around this idea, right? It's at the very beginning of that song. It says, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, okay? We're going to talk about the people of Israel tonight walking around the city of Jericho, all right? So if you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and get ready. I'm going to get to it in a little bit. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6. But before we get there... I have to make probably several confessions to you and tell you a story, but I have a question first. 
Is anyone in here really good at avoiding things in their life that like you avoid something and then all of a sudden you finally get the, the courage to do it or you finally realize like, oh, this is ridiculous, I gotta get this done. And you realize the thing you avoided the whole time is really not that big of a deal. Come on, anyone ever been there before? Okay, this happened in our house a few days ago. Stephanie had painted our cabinets months and months ago, and we've, we've gone without cabinet doors on a couple of cabinets for a long time. And this week, she was like, these cabinets are getting hung up today. How long did it take? Five minutes? Five minutes. All right, so that's all it took. We avoided this thing, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, for me, uh, my story is a lot bigger of a deal, and uh, it turned into something that I want to share with you, something I avoided. So uh, if you know me, you know that I'm really bad at things like getting my tags renewed on my car. I'm really bad at like getting the oil changed, which I've been really good at that lately. I'm the stickler there. Uh, but like, I'm bad at remembering to do stuff like that because I'm like, come on, they're not gonna pull me over for that. Well, they do, all right? Let me just tell you right now, they do uh, a lot. And so if we're gonna understand the story, you have to understand that Years and years ago, like five, six years ago, we lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, and we the week before we left to move to Florida, I got a speeding ticket going down the interstate because it slows down so much, like once you get towards town in there. And I, was, I wasn't going, it wasn't crazy fast, but I got a ticket. And I looked at the court date that was listed on the ticket, and I realized we ain't going to live in Tennessee anymore whenever we had the court date. So I ended up calling the courthouse in, in Knoxville and said, hey, I'm going to be moving. I'm not even going to be here. I, you know, I, I would do traffic school down there if I need to. And she was like, you know what? Just pay the ticket and you don't have to show up for court. You'll be fine. Okay. Uh, fast forward about six years and uh, a few months ago, I uh, didn't get tags renewed on my car. Right. So Stephanie's rolling her eyes. Y'all could feel it behind her. I think she was rolling them so hard. So I, I, I have expired tags. I need to get that done, but it was the pandemic, right? That was my excuse that I didn't want to do it during the pandemic. So anyway, I, uh, I'm pretty good at noticing if a cop's behind me and I'll just pull into someone's random driveway. You know, like they won't even, I don't even live there, but I'll get out of it, you know, and they'll, the cops aren't going to follow me in the driveway, right? So I didn't see this guy behind me and, uh, he ends up throwing his lights on and I'm right at the beginning of our neighborhood that we live in. And so, I knew immediately when he pulled me over what it was for. So I end up, he comes to the door. He's like, hey, can I see your license, your registration, your insurance, all that, you know? And uh, again, I had avoided the tags. I had also, I will soon learn, that I avoided taking care of that ticket in Knoxville six years ago. So he uh, is behind me. He goes back to his car and stays there for like 25, 30 minutes. He's there for a long time. And the next time I look up, there's now three other cop cars with him. And that's when I realize, oh boy, like something is happening right now, right? So I call Stephanie and uh, I said, hey, you remember that ticket in Knoxville I got like the week before we left? She said, yeah. I said, well, I think I might be getting arrested right now because of this ticket, right? And so uh, anyway, he comes back. He's got another cop with him, behind him, that was... Uh, there, I don't know why he was there, but I was trying to be super nice. All right, so he cut, he rolled, rolled the window down. He said, hey, I got some good news and some bad news. I said, that's good. Tell me, just lay it on me. Let me know. And he said, well, sir, I'm not going to arrest you today. I said, that's good news. Okay, what's the bad news? He said, you can't drive. Your, your license is invalidated. Your insurance is invalidated. And your license plate is invalidated. I don't even know why, but you should not be driving this car right now. And so uh, I end up having to walk home from the front of my neighborhood, very hot outside, and of carrying a lot of things. 
And let me tell you what's worse than getting arrested. I've never been arrested, but I can only imagine this is worse, is calling your wife and telling her she's going to have to go walk back to the car to then go drive it home when it's really hot outside. That's worse than getting arrested. I can guarantee you right now, okay? So I call Stephanie. Uh, she, she was very loving about it and told me, okay, I'll, go, I'll be glad to go walk to the car, right? And so she comes, she walks to the car. She goes and takes care of the license plate. Honest to God, I don't think I've ever made her more mad at me than that moment right there, which is saying something. Uh, uh, so I, I finally realized that I, I called Knoxville, tracked down this ticket after years. I had avoided this for six years. And I called Knoxville. The ticket only costed me $120. Not bad at all, all considering everything, right? And uh, then I, I realized I had to get my license reinstated so that, that I can then get a driver's license in Tennessee so I could drive. And so my dad who is a saint, had to drive me to Knoxville to uh, go to a DMV so I could get all this taken care of. Insane. So I get to the Knoxville DMV. I was in and out of there in 20 minutes and left with a driver's license and left all squared away. And there's something I avoided for six years that I was worried was going to be too complicated to figure out or track down and too much money to pay, all this kind of stuff, ended up coming back to bite me in the butt. And I realized that that mistake wasn't even a big deal to fix. I should have done it six years ago. Stephanie's amening on the front right now, right? Well, there are things in our lives that we avoid. But typically, when we avoid these things, they don't get better. They actually get worse, right? When we avoid things in our lives, they don't get better. They get worse. Y'all know this to be true. You, you, you hear this sound on, in your car, and you're like, hey, I'm not going to go get that fixed. It's not a big deal. Well, all of a sudden, you might get stuck on the interstate, broken down on the side of the road because you avoided this thing, right? Some of you might have some lighthearted things like that, but I'd be willing to bet in a room that this size... There's people in here that probably have some pretty big things in their life that you've been avoiding for way too long. And let me tell you, things don't get better when you avoid them. They actually get worse. Maybe for you, you experienced some hurt in your life. And man, someone did something to you when you were a kid. It wasn't even your fault. You couldn't even help it and, and really hurt you in a big way. And you've been carrying around this hurt for years, maybe even decades, and instead of dealing with this hurt in a healthy way, you've been avoiding it. And you've just learned to live a hurt life. And in turn, you're probably unknowingly hurting others because hurt people hurt people, right? And you've been avoiding this. And it's not gotten better with time. In fact, it's gotten worse over time. Maybe for you, if you've been hurt, maybe you've struggled with some unforgiveness, and there's something in your life, someone's offended you, and man, every time someone says their name, every time you see their dumb face pop up on Instagram, you just, something in you is like, I can't stand this person right now, right? Or maybe every time you hear something that makes you think of something that hurt you, and you realize, man, and you just replay this hurt over and over again because you're living in unforgiveness. Well, you're avoiding the tough thing of forgiving somebody. And let me tell you what it's doing to you. It's not getting better over time. It's actually getting worse over time. And so uh, unforgiveness is like you drinking poison but expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness is eats you alive, eats your soul away from the inside out. And so you've avoided this idea of forgiving this person. And you might be thinking, well, this person, if I forgive them, it's going to justify what they did. No, that's not what forgiveness means. But you've been avoiding this thing, and it's not gotten better over time. It's actually gotten worse. Maybe for some of you, you're in a relationship right now that it's toxic, it might be abusive, and it's time for you to leave this person. 
but you're avoiding it because you, you, you've been involved in this manipulative relationship for so long, this toxic relationship for so long, that you think that if you leave this person that you're never gonna be loved again. You think that you're never gonna find someone else again and you've avoided this hard thing to do of leaving somebody that's hurt you and that's toxic or maybe uh, leaving a friendship that you don't need anymore, <clears throat> whatever it is, and you've avoided it. <clears throat> and it's not gotten better over time, it's gotten worse. Because when we avoid stuff, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. I don't know what problems you have in your life. I don't know the intricacies of most of the people's lives in here, but I do know that we all face problems, big problems or small problems. And if you're like me, you like to avoid these things. I don't know many people that like to hit a problem head on and they enjoy it. You know, it's just not fun. Well, today, the Israelites, we're going to talk about a story of they had an opportunity to avoid a problem. They had an opportunity to go around a problem. You see, Jericho was the first city, was the first nation, was the first army that God told them to defeat. But here's the catch. They actually had a lot of nations in this promised land and a lot of armies they had to defeat. And Jericho looked the scariest. They looked like they were the biggest. They had huge walls. They had thick walls. And God said, hey, I want you to, to take care of these people first. And they're probably thinking, like, are you sure? Like, we could go over here and defeat these people, and these people, they seem pretty easy, and get some wind under our belt, and then we'll be ready to kind of come back and face these people and all that, and we can get some experience, because Jericho had experience in fighting. They had fortified walls. They had better weapons. The people of Israel didn't have any of that, because they'd been mobile for 40 years. They'd been wandering around. But God said, no, you're going to take care of these people first. And I would bet that there were people in that army, there were people in that nation that thought, why don't we just go around this? This sounds annoying. Uh, the instructions that God gave them that we're going to talk about in a second sounds like a lot of work, and they don't even feel like, it doesn't even seem like it's going to work. And so I don't, I don't know. It just, uh, can't we just go around this problem? We'll deal with it later. But what do we know about problems? If you handle them later, they don't get, they don't get better. They actually get a lot worse. And God knew that. God knew that. And so God asked them, to do something really interesting, here's what it says in Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Huh. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. Remember that ram's horn. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. All right, I want you to remember this part of the story. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, this is on the seventh day, have all the people shout as loud as they can, okay? Then the walls of the town will collapse. Y'all say collapse, Okay, we're going to come back to that later too. And the people can charge straight into town. All right, so here we are. God has given the instructions to Joshua as to how they're going to capture their biggest problem, their scariest problem, and it is to just go to the city and walk around it. Now, if I was there, I'd be saying, Joshua, are you, you might need to get a Q-tip or two and like clean those ears out because that sounds like a horrible plan to take this city. You know what I'm saying? I would be thinking that. But no, God has a way of teaching us stuff when we obey him. 
He has a way of teaching us stuff when we obey him. Because, like I said, they could have easily traveled around Jericho. He could have easily traveled around Jericho and dealt with this thing later when they were more experienced and had more weapons and all this kind of stuff. But God knows this, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Oftentimes, when we want to go around our problems, God is actually calling us to surround our problems. A lot of times, God wants us to go around our problems. But in this story, and I believe in life, God is asking you not to avoid it, not to go around it, but to surround your problems. But you're thinking, Clint, you have no idea what my problems are. I have a lot of big problems. I got this, I got that. I got... And you're right, I don't know your problems. I don't know how big they are. But let me tell you right now, your problems might seem big, but let me tell you, God is much bigger than your problems. Our problems might be big, but our God's bigger. And you gotta know that today. No matter how big you feel like your problem is, God is bigger than that problem. The people of Israel... They got real used to seeing how big this city was, how big this problem was. They walked around at one time for six days. They walked around one lap for six days. Every time they're walking around that wall, they're thinking, man, these are big walls. Like, they're pretty thick. They're pretty tall. Like, you know, like, this is a big deal. I don't know how this is going to work. This sounds crazy, right? They knew how big their problem was. And some of you know how big your problem is. It feels big. It feels intimidating. But I want to remind you today, your problem might be big, but your God is much bigger than any problem. Do you believe that today? Come on. God is much bigger than any problem that you'll face. And so I believe in this story, we can take a lot away. Because we might want to go around our problems because they seem so big, they seem so scary. But God is calling us to surround our problems. He gave the people of Israel very specific instructions. We're gonna look at these instructions and see how what we can take from there and we can apply it to our lives and see how we can surround our problems tonight. So y'all ready to hear this? Y'all got something to write with because it's time to take some notes. Y'all ready? All right, the first thing is we're gonna surround our problems with worship. Surround your problems with worship. Don't go around your problem. I want you to surround your problems with worship. Here's what it says in the Bible. Joshua 6, 6, it says this. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Now, I told you to remember that ram's horn. It's really important. The ram's horn had two functions back in the day when this was going on. The first function was that it was a call to war. When it was ready to get rolling with the warriors, they would blow the horns and they would know it's game time. We're getting ready to fight, right? The second function was that it would be blown to start worship. It would be a call to worship. Now, I think some of us in here, uh, we have done worship a disservice and we've separated it from what battle is. But let me tell you, when you worship, you're battling your problems. Because when you worship, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means when you worship, God lives in that praise. And so when we surround our problems with worship, we're actually inviting God into this to fight for us. That's why it was so important for the people of Israel to carry this ram's horn and to blow it. It was a a sign of worship because God specifically instructed them not to fight. You're not to fight. Don't take the weapons. Don't do, all you need to do is walk around and blow this horn. And it was a call to worship. They were doing that as an act 
of worship. And if you have a problem today, let me tell you right now, it's time for you to get your worship on and worship a little bit because that's where we invite God to come in and fight for us. That's when we invite God to come in and fight for us. But what the interesting thing is, is that when the enemy hears the ram's horn, they don't see it as a call to worship. They see it as a call to battle and they get afraid. I guarantee you the people that were inside the walls of Jericho, they were afraid. When they heard the ram's horn, I bet they were shaking in their boots thinking, oh no, is this the moment where they come take us over? When you sound the ram's horn in your life, the enemy is afraid. It's worried. Why? Because he knows that God's about to show up. He knows that the presence of God is about to show up and God is ready to do battle against that problem. You see, I think some of us, we're so used to telling God how big our problems are. But God, or you need to tell your problems how big your God is. And that's what worship does. Man, we're so used to telling God how big our problems are. We're just trying to tell your problems how big your God is. You do that through worship. Man, when, you get in, when I get in here, when Stephanie gets in here, I can't wait for the music to start. I know it's loud. I know, it, I know I love that. Why? Because one, you can't hear yourself sing if it's loud. All right, and some of you won't sing if you can hear yourself. But the second thing is, man, it's time to get my focus off my problem and get my focus on God. Man, that gets me ready to come up here and preach. It should get you ready to come up and just get, I mean, get in, in the trenches of battle, right? Because that's what God designed worship to do, man. God, worship is a battle. And so we got to surround our problems with worship. The second thing we got to do is surround your problems with God's presence. So we're going to surround our, our problems with worship, and we're going to surround our problems with God's presence. Here's what he said to the people of Israel. He said, after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with ram's horns, okay, started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Last week, we talked about how the Ark of the Covenant represented God's physical presence. When that thing was carried somewhere, it not only was symbolic, but it was literal. Like it was a picture for people to look at to see that God's physical presence was literally with them. And you see, you have to understand this. Is I was actually texting a buddy of mine that's a theologian who I met a few weeks ago. He's awesome, has an awesome podcast. If you want it, let me know, I'll get it to you. It's really good. But I was texting him for some context because I was working on this. And I didn't want to get anything wrong. And he's like a genius. I'm not going to, he's awesome. Maybe I can bring him here sometime. He'd, he'd be good. But uh, anyway, I was asking him, I said, hey, how big was Jericho? Right? Because we know the walls were big. And he actually told me like Jericho's footprint geographically was not very big. It was like, a, you know, a point what is it, 0 0.20 miles around. It was not very big, but it was packed full of people and it looked really intimidating. And so I asked, I said, so do you think that the people of Israel could completely surround the city when they were doing this? He said, absolutely. It was small enough to where everybody that was marching around the city wasn't really in a single file line. They completed like a complete circle. They completely surrounded the city. And so when they're walking around the city carrying God's presence, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, God was literally surrounding that city with his presence. And the same has to be true for you. If you are to face these problems, if you're to surround these problems and let God do his thing, you have to surround your problems with the presence of God. 
And I think too many of us have lost touch with how we get into the presence of God. Because we all know that God is everywhere at the same time. We call that being omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. But there's a difference between that presence and God's intimate presence. And I'm not talking about God's omnipresence. I'm talking about his intimate presence. The presence that was only found in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. That type of presence. Because that type of presence changes things. That type of presence changes you. That type of presence can unlock things in your life. That type of presence can, you can find some breakthrough with. And that's the kind of presence I'm talking about. So how do we get the, into that kind of God's presence? Not just his omnipresence, but in his intimate and literal presence. Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's how you do it. The first ingredient you need is the word of God. If you're not spending time in God's word, you'll never enter into God's presence because that's where God speaks to you. That's where God's words are. That's where his instructions are. And there's a way that the Bible talks about that, that the Bible affects you. It's living and it's active. And when we read it, it's not so much about you getting into God's word, but it's about God's word getting into you. And when we can get into God's word, we can start to begin, his, or begin to get in his presence. So the first ingredient you need to get into his presence is to read God's word. The second thing is your words to God. We'll call that prayer. Man, spend time praying to God. Well, I don't know how to pray. You know how to talk. Talk to God like he's sitting right there. He's not looking for fancy words. He's not looking for you to say the right thing and to to use the right terminology. He doesn't care about that. He just wants you to pray. He wants you to talk to him. But don't forget that prayer is a two-way conversation. Some of us need to pray, and then we just need to sit and let God speak to us. And the third ingredient, if you want to get in God's presence, is your words about God. That's worship. We just talked about that. If you want to get into God's presence, you can do this at any time, in any place. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be at church. You don't have to be uh, in a spiritual, you know, uh, you don't have to be at camp. You don't have to, no, do it in your car. You do all this in your car. You could do this at your house. You could do this anywhere. And when we do these things, we are getting into God's presence. And when we get into God's presence, man, then we're able to surround our problems and God's able to show us things. God's able to speak to us. God's able to impart things on us. But if we can't get into God's presence, we can't surround our problems with God's presence. And some of us need to invite God in to our problems and surround our problems with God's presence. The third thing is we're going to surround ourselves with others. So we're going to surround our problems with worship. We're going to surround our problems with God's presence. And then here's one of the most important things is you have to surround yourself with others. Notice that the Bible didn't say, hey, why don't you take your strongest warrior, all right, and I want you to send him to Jericho, and I want him to walk around uh, the the city for six days. It's like, no, that's crazy. No, God said, I want every fighting man, that was every able-bodied man that was old enough to hold a sword was marching around this city. And they did it together. And they were able to completely surround this problem together. Let me tell you something. You were never meant to do life alone. God didn't design you to do life alone. That's not his plan for you. That's not what is best for you. In fact, the devil, the enemy, wants you to be alone. Because if you're alone, he can pick you off. But if you are surrounded with some other people that are in your corner, that are fighting with you, that are fighting for you, it's a lot harder for the devil to get you. 
It's a lot harder for the enemy to attack you. When you do life with others, it's harder on the devil to get to you. And some of you have been doing life alone for too long. Some of you are struggling with things that nobody knows about. Guess what? You're not meant to carry that load by yourself. That's what we're here for. That's what your family's here for. That's what your church family's here for. And let me tell you right now, you're in a room full of people that are in your corner. You're in a room full of people that love you. You're in a room full of people that want the best for you. You're in the room full of people that want to help you. All you gotta do is show up. All you gotta do is just share what's going on in your life because you're not meant to do life alone. These people, they didn't do this thing alone, and this was scary. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they, they weren't alone. And I think some of us are trying to tackle these problems all by ourselves. There needs to be at least one person in your life that knows everything about you. I know for me, uh, there are people in my life that know what's going on in my life. There's a couple of overseers that we have here. They're stepping down as accountability uh, with the church and all that, but they're also there because they encourage us. They ask us tough questions. They, they know things about us that none of y'all know, and you're not going to know. But they do. But there's also some other pastors in my life that know my struggles. They know what's going on with me. They know how to ask questions because they know the things that I'm dealing with in my life. And you have to have that. I mean, I, I don't know what I would do without people like Reeves. He was here a few weeks. He's one of those guys. I don't know what I would do without people like Dustin, with people like Keith. I mean, these are other pastors that know things about me. They, I don't do life alone. I don't do ministry alone because it's that important. Man, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. But it's a lot harder to devour you if you don't do life alone. Now, here's the good news. We got groups starting next week. Come on, somebody. You have an opportunity to get involved and to not do life alone. I don't care. I I don't care about having the largest small group ministry in Sumner County. I don't give a rip about that, okay? Had to really choose my words wisely right there. I don't care about that. I I don't even want anything from you. I want this for you. You need to be there. Guess what? Men, Tuesdays, 6.30 a.m. at the Gulletsville Cracker Barrel. I'm leading the men's group. You should be there. I don't care if you eat. Just come and show up at the table. Be there. And we're going to have a ton of fun. It's not boring. And it's not we're going to be crying every week and all this stuff. But it's a chance for you to get to know some guys and for some guys to get to know you so that they know how to help you and they know how to be there. Every dude in here should be there. This Tuesday, 6.30, we're starting this Tuesday at the Gulletsville Cracker Barrel right along Hollow Pike. All y'all should be there. Not all the ladies, all the men. Y'all should be there. Ladies, y'all are starting a group sometime next week. I don't have the details on it because I'm not a woman. All right? But then if you're married in here, guess what? Steph and I are leading a married group at our house on Thursday nights from 6 to 7.30. Guess what? If you're married, come on. We'd love to have you because marriage is real hard. Come on. How many of y'all know that? Your first year of marriage is really, really hard, right? Our first was our worst, you know? But you need help in your marriage, and you need to go, man, we argue a lot about this stupid thing. Well, guess what? Probably every other married couple in here has argued about the same thing, and they can help you because you're not designed to do this alone. Some of you are trying to surround your problems by yourself, and you can't surround anything by yourself. You need other people, Right? Come on, you got to surround your problems with worship. You got to surround your problems with God's presence. And then you got to surround your problem or surround yourself with others. Oh, I didn't want to go there yet. We'll go back. 
Okay. Uh, but I, I do want to land the plane a little bit tonight. Joe, you can come up. And uh, I want to talk to the person in here that feels like your problem is too big. You feel like I have I, the problem I'm facing, there's no way. There's no way God can fix this. And I think there are some people in here that have a problem that they've created. You made a dumb decision. You made a decision that wasn't wise. You probably made several decisions that wasn't wise. And you have found yourself with a problem that you created. And you're thinking, Clint, I think all this is great. But if you really knew me, you would know that, like, this is just impossible. This isn't for me. This problem is preventing, uh, this problem is preventing me to be used by God. God can't use me because of this problem. These walls that I've built up, these walls that I can look at and see as my problem, they're too big. I can never get through there. God, I know that he's awesome, but I don't even think he could do that. Well, this next part is for you, all right? And I wanna talk to you. I really felt in my spirit this week that this was for somebody today, maybe for a lot of us today. And it says this. Come on. Okay. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, so this is the seventh day. This is the last day that they would walk around the city. God had told them on the last day, on the seventh day, you're to walk around the city seven times. And then the priests are going to blow that horn for a really long time. When you hear that, I want you to scream as loud as you can. Watch what happens. All right, so here's what they did. What am I doing? Okay, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. Y'all say collapse. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and they captured it. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you are a person that feels like these walls are keeping you out of your problem, and there's no way to get through that wall, this part's for you. This is why God put this in here. This is awesome. You see, a lot of us think that when that wall fell, uh, we assume that it tipped over to the front or it tipped over to the back. That's not what happened. The Bible, in some churches, it actually says it fell flat. But here's the picture that this language is painting for us is that it actually collapsed into a mound. It didn't fall flat on the ground one way or the other. It actually crumbled in upon itself and it created this mound. And so here's what that meant. That the people of Israel, when the wall collapsed down, that one, the wall that was preventing them from getting in was actually the thing that they used as stepping stones to get into the city. And so what the wall did is it crumpled in such a way that the Israelites actually used the wall, used the very thing that was keeping them out of the city. It actually used that thing as stepping stones to get into the city. It fell in such a way to where they could go straight in. It didn't fall in a way that was still obstructing their path in. It fell in a way where they could use that wall as stepping stones into the city. And I want to tell you today, if you have a problem that you feel like is too big for God, let me tell you right now that God is going to take that wall down and you're going to use that wall that once kept you out as stepping stones into what God has for you. Some of you think that the thing that you're struggling with, the problem that you have is too big for God to use, but God is going to use that very thing in you to make a difference in someone else's life. If you're a person here that struggled with addiction and you struggle with that right now, God can redeem it. He can knock that wall down and he can turn that wall into stepping stones where he can do his best work through you. That thing you feel like is keeping you from God's best is the very thing God is wanting to use for you to make a difference in someone's life. 
So you're never counted out. If you're a believer in here, if you're a Christian in here, let me tell you, you're never out. God can use anything. God can redeem anything. God can mend anything. And he wants to use that very thing in your life to do his biggest work in your life. And so maybe for you, you're a person that's filled with so much shame because you've suffered from abuse in your life. Guess what? That problem, that wall of abuse that's been built in your life, God's gonna bring that down. And you're gonna use that thing as stepping stones to take back what the enemy took from you a long time ago. He's gonna redeem it. I believe that with my whole heart. I love that. I love that. He's gonna redeem your biggest problem. I want you to bow your heads and just close your eyes for a second. I know that there are some things that people deal with in here that are hard, that are big, big problems. But I'm I'm here to tell you today, God's going to redeem those things. But I'm telling you, you have to surround your problems with worship. You got to surround your problems with God's presence and you have to surround yourself with others. That's how we find freedom here at Oasis Church. And so for you, if you're in here and you would just be, you don't have to tell me what it is. I'm not going to assume anything what it is. But if there is a problem that you've been facing, there's a problem that seems big in your life right now. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand real quick. I want to pray for you today. Come on, raise your hand. If you have a problem in your life that just feels like it is out of control, it's big, you can't do anything about it. Come on, let's get honest. All right, you can put your hands down. God. I don't know these details. You know every detail. And you still love every person that just raised their hand unconditionally. Big problem or not. God, right now we are surrounding this problem with prayer. We're surrounding this problem with your presence. Your presence is in this room right now. And in the name of Jesus, we ask that some walls come down right now. God, we ask for the walls of depression to fall right now in Jesus' name. We ask for the walls of anxiety to fall down right now in Jesus' name. God, we ask uh, the walls of children that have walked away from you to fall down in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would do a work in all these areas, God. You know the areas of these people's hearts. You know that there are problems that they're facing. And God, you've you've already conquered that problem. When you died on the cross, you conquered it. You redeemed it right there. And so, God, I pray against shame in the name of Jesus for people that feel shame for what they've been facing. God, I pray you would take that away right now. And I pray that that would become their platform that they can help people with. Well, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed still, um, I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond. Maybe for you, you've never asked Jesus into your life. And let me tell you, that wall you can't knock down. It's impossible. The Bible tells us that when we do things that God doesn't want us to do, that's called a sin. And all of us have done it. I've done it. Everybody here has done it. We've all been separated from God because of that. But God sent his son down, Jesus, to die on the cross and knock that wall down for you. And tonight, you can get to know him. And so if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray a prayer together. And man, you're going to invite Jesus into your life. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Even online. All right, put your hands down. If that's you, I want you to say this prayer. Say, dear God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And I'm going to invite you into my life. 
And in the best way I know how, I will follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, y'all give God a hand for people that made that decision. Hey, I want you to know we love you. We're here for you. And man, there is no problem too big for God, but you can't do life alone. So men, I'm just going to push for the men's group right now. Tuesdays at 6.30 a.m. Y'all ain't doing nothing at 6.30 a.m. anyway. Get to Cracker Barrel on Long Hollow Pike and just come hang out. I promise it's going to be a lot of fun. If you don't want to join that group, get on our website, go to the groups tab and find a group that you want to join and just get there. Just get there. Meet some people. I promise it's a, it's, it'll be a ton of fun. But hey, we love you so much. Next week, we will not be here. We will be at Tyree Hollow. All right. The address is on our Instagram, our Facebook and all that. Go find it there and meet there. Bring a side, bring a dessert. All right. Don't come showing up to this party representing our church with some bad side or bad dessert. All right. We're not going to do that. We're going to have some good stuff. Okay. I want people to go, man, these people are awesome. They can cook. Thomas, I'm looking at you, buddy. I'm joking. But hey, we love you guys and uh, can't wait to see you there next week and then back here on the 11th. All right. Love you guys. Have a good week.